Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest today is Amy J. Schmitz, Professor of Law at the University of Missouri School of Law. We will discuss her recent book, The New Handshake, Online Dispute Resolution and the Future of Consumer Protection, which she co-authored with Colin Rule. So welcome, Amy. Hey, welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. So I really enjoyed reading your book, um, which was really accessible, but also had a lot of really um, fascinating ideas that I hadn't, that hadn't really occurred to me in that way before. But I was wondering if you could start by explaining the metaphor that you use uh, in the title of the book, which I think in a lot of ways structures sort of the approach that you take to this problem. So you talk about the new handshake. I was wondering if you could say, you know, what is the new handshake? How is it different from the quote-unquote old handshake, as it were? And, And why do you think this handshake metaphor is a useful one for the problem that you're, that you're struggling with? Yeah, well, honestly, it kind of goes back to a story, basically, because um, many years ago, um, you know, obviously, I, well, I've been um, researching and writing um, for 20 years and sort of contracts and dispute resolution, um, arbitration, um, ar- pre-dispute arbitration clauses, and looking specifically at consumer contracts and, um, in general, sort of worried about the state of consumers' ability to obtain remedies and sort of deals and trust in the marketplace. And at the same time, I was looking at technology and how that makes a difference. And then, of course, we had the rise of e-commerce. And, you know, a lot has really transpired in the last 20 years. If you think about it, it's quite amazing how much has happened in um, a relatively short period of time. And in my research, I had done a lot of empirical research on consumer contracting, consumer behavior, and consumer protection. And um, I was starting to kind of jump into this world of online dispute resolution. And in, in doing that, of course, I ran across Colin Rule and his name because he had developed the systems for eBay and PayPal. And so um, I thought, well, gosh, I need to learn everything I can about this. And being very interested in empirical evidence and always wanting to learn things directly, I essentially, true story, got on a plane, flew out to San Jose, and essentially was in their faces asking questions and trying to learn everything I could about the online dispute resolution systems that were happening at eBay. And um, I got into conversations with um, Colin Rule, and in talking about that, Um, I just was talking about, gosh, you know, I'm just some kid from Wisconsin, which is true. I'm from a small town in Wisconsin. And I was saying how, you know, in the good old days, I could buy something, look someone in the eye, shake their hand and know that they were good for it. I knew I could trust them. I knew that if something happened, I could get a remedy. I used the example of purchasing corn. Um, Again, a true story is as a kid, you'd ride your bike down to the local farm stand and you would buy some corn and you shake his hand or his or her hand, the farmer. And, um, you know, if it were bad, then you just get right back on your bike. You go back and you get new corn and nobody ever really questioned that there was sort of a trust in the marketplace. And so we were talking about how, you know, that's not really true um, with online and with e-commerce and with one shot deals where, you know, sometimes we all have been there. Um, you can have different situations in e-commerce, especially where you buy something online and you've never met that person. They never met you. They might be in another country. They could be anywhere. Um, you know, they you're not you're expendable. There's always another buyer behind you. 
Um, so how do we rebuild that trust, the trust of a handshake? And so we were thinking about the new handshake and that's essentially kind of how that whole idea developed. Yeah. And you know, what really struck me in kind of a macro sense about the book was how you really identified this way in which, you know, we think about online transactions as having dramatically reduced transactions costs when it comes to consumer purchases. And that's obviously true, but it's made everything so much easier in a lot of ways. But you really point out that there's this new kind of transaction cost that arises when you can't, you know, communicate directly with the person who who you're transacting with, right? So it's easier to do the transaction, but it seems like so much harder to, to fix the problems on the back end. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, right now, actually, I have, um, and that's the funny part is, you know, I talk about these things, but, um, you know, we're all there, you know, right now with an airline where they don't even have, and I actually, because right now I'm in, I'm very upset with an airline that kind of left me stranded and had some different issues and they're providing no, no remedies for, um, for the people who are on that flight. And there's no customer service number. They actually do not have a customer service number. The only working telephone number that they have is to purchase tickets, but they, or make reservations or change a reservation, but they have nothing for customer service. And so when you get back an email that just says, sorry, you had a bad experience, but we're providing you with no remedy, um, that's all you got, right? And so that's a different transaction cost. You're absolutely right on sort of the back end of getting a remedy when things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that really leaped out at me in reading the book was the way you investigate what it is that consumers actually want. And it's not obvious. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what consumers actually want in this context. In other words, what makes people feel better? Right. I mean, yeah, that was interesting. And this, again, I'm thankful to the research um, from eBay and learning about what they, you know, in their research as well, along with my research. Um, And you know, consumers don't really care about perks and giveaways. They just want to be treated fairly. They want to be treated fairly. They just want to be able to get a remedy. Um, most consumers do not want to have to call customer service. I'm sure you've been there as well. It's absolutely, it's actually painful. Like it's painful sometimes to call and sit on hold. And then you finally reach someone and then that person says, sorry, I can't help you. And then they transfer you to someone else. And I mean, it's literally painful. And I think what And what we found, and what I think is, even if you ask yourself the same question, what consumers really just want is to be treated fairly and not to have to pick up the phone, not to have to negotiate and fight in order to get a remedy. Um, My prior research before doing this book, um, I found it's really true. Squeaky wheels get the grease. Um, And of course, we would assume that, but it is very, very true. And when you go from the business side, there's a lot of companies that actually talk about this as ration by hassle, which is seen as benign business, meaning if you really want a remedy, if you really deserve one, you will fight hard enough. Well, consumers don't want to have to fight to be treated fairly. Consumers just want to be able to get a remedy, be treated fairly, have it happen quickly, and not have to pick up the phone. Yeah, and that that was something really interesting in that I think we usually think of the sort of the squeaky wheel as the person who's going to help us identify what the problem is and 
by identifying the problem, help it get fixed. And it seems like your research on the ground suggests that that's not necessarily the case and that it's not good for consumers or for businesses to take that approach. Why, why is that? Well, I think it's on the one hand, um, for consumers, see, and we, of course, we know this from um, our contract analysis, and we've all learned about this so-called um, minority that would be loud enough that they would tell everybody else about the problems, get the information out, and this informed minority would then help consumers to all learn about the bad practices of the bad businesses and vote with their feet, meaning then purchase elsewhere. Well, that's not really happening. And so if, for example, the squeaky wheel gets a remedy, they're not necessarily going to go out and call all their closest friends in the whole majority and let everybody else know that they can get a remedy too, especially when they know that remedies are rationed, right? So, you know, we would hope that people are that benign and are, want to help everyone else out, but, you know, people generally are not as altruistic <laughs> as that may, may sound. And some of it is actually more just fundamental because class actions are being limited by um, pre-dispute arbitration clauses, and therefore that sort of squelches um, one of the main mechanisms that we have for getting information out, which is a class action. Um, so without that kind of mechanism, without others finding out um, who the bad actors are, you know, we're sort of all kind of people don't really know um, who it is that that they should avoid um, if they are going to run into problems with um, their purchases. And on the flip side for the companies, well, in some ways that's not very, well, it just isn't very efficient for them as well, if you think about it, um, if they're just kind of paying off the squeakiest wheels, because do we really know that the squeakiest wheels really deserve the remedies. Um, also, companies benefit. Companies actually benefit from learning about problems because if they learn about a problem early on, they can fix it and avoid class actions, avoid bigger problems. What eBay learned, um, more importantly, was that by providing quick and fair resolutions, they actually gained consumer loyalty. In fact, um, Colin, they laugh about this because their research basically showed that eBay made more money from people who had complaints. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they, you know, kind of would joke around and say, well, does that mean that we should give people complaints? Because then they're more likely to come back and buy more things on eBay. Um, so, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, what that tells us is that companies actually, if they're smart, they benefit, they benefit by providing quick and easy remedies to their um, customers. Yeah, so I want to return to that, but I also wanted to, to ask you about something you just mentioned, which was class actions and sort of limitation of class actions by, or increasing limitation of class actions by arbitration clauses. So, you know, class actions are sort of the kind of traditional paradigmatic consumer protection approach to ensuring that, you know, consumers are treated fairly. Um, why isn't the problem here just arbitration clauses? I mean, why can't we use class actions to solve this problem? Is is there something something that they can't do that the the mechanisms that you're looking to can? Well, first of all, um, arbitration. I mean, number one, we know currently that arbitration clauses, pre-dispute arbitration clauses, are very much enforceable. And I, especially with the current makeup of the United States Supreme Court, I do not think that's going to change anytime soon. So, you know, that is the state of affairs. So I think we have to recognize that pre-dispute arbitration clauses do cut off your right to a class action. Nobody, 
well, they're incredibly rare to actually have a class arbitration. And in fact, most arbitration clauses, go read your own in your cell phone or your credit card agreement, actually cuts off your right to even have a class arbitration. So I think you just have to accept that as a fact currently in the current state of affairs. And so if pre-speed arbitration clauses are enforceable, then you're not going to have class actions putting that aside, or in those situations where you have a pre-speed arbitration clause. But putting that aside, class actions aren't necessarily the end-all be-all, because that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to obtain the best remedy possible. Um, we've all sort of, or most of us have been a party to one of these class actions where, you know, you really don't obtain much of a remedy. Um, I had one years back that I was part of, and had to do with a cell phone agreement. And I think I received a coupon in the mail to spend five more dollars to get $5 off and buying another cell phone. Well, that's not really gonna help me very much, right? And so sometimes class actions can be a bit of a pyrrhic victory. So, um, you know, so they're not, the, they have a place and they can be very beneficial, but you know, it's not the end all be all. And I think these online systems provide a different, you know, we talk about the multi-door courthouse and we talk about, consumers wanting different ways to obtain remedies. And I think what's um, particularly exciting about online dispute resolution is that it's so flexible. So if you are, you know, a single parent and you're busy with the kids all day and you have a job and you're, you have all these different things that occur during the day and you don't have the time to be on the phone with customer service or the time or money to even bring a small claims action in court. To be able to just go on your computer any hour of the day and obtain a remedy is actually very, very beneficial for a number of reasons. Um, there's also the fact that many people are intimidated, I'm intimidated and I'm a lawyer, um, going to the courts. You know, I mean, courts are not, it's not an easy place, right? And so even filing a small claims action can be actually um, very complex and difficult for an individual to pursue. Yeah, no, that I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book was the way you kind of traced the history of how eBay kind of grappled with and gradually solved some of these problems with implementing effective online dispute resolution and and what they learned along the way. I was wondering if you could just tell that story because I just thought that was fascinating. Well, I mean, definitely, of course, there's sort of the whole um, beginnings of trying to sell that, right? So like you have to realize that if you're somebody trying to put together um, a dispute resolution program and you're trying to kind of sell the startup costs of creating the program to a company, you're going to have to show them, right? You're going to have to show them that they could benefit from it. And so, and of course, there's in creating a program, you often, you're going to have problems, you're going to have mistakes, you're going to have certain, you know, quirks or problems with the system. And so, you know, I think it, it as with anything like this, um, you have to learn from your mistakes and fall forward, meaning, you know, learning about the different mistakes in the program, learning how if you use different language, you can make it more beneficial, sort of taking that into kind of a journey, if you will, and in the end, of course, creating a success. I mean, what I think is particularly telling um, is really the aftermath, which is, well, now Amazon, now every major company of that does very well and that is very successful, like Amazon, has an online dispute resolution system. 
So I think that says something, right? I mean, the proof is in the pudding and that they're starting to create these systems. And what is, I know, isn't part of this book, but, but what I've been working on lately, and I think is really, really interesting, is courts are following suit. So right now, there are small claims courts all over the world that are going online. And in fact, um, and I know this isn't what you asked about, but it, I think it's news you can use yeah. because it's really built on the exact same kind of system that eBay created um, and really what the book is about. Well, guess what? The courts are doing that now. So you've got, for example, in, um, in Canada, they have the Civil Resolution Tribunal, which is an online small claims court, um, which is huge and really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, New York is going to be going online. New York, state of New York is going to have an online small claims court. Utah is going to have an online small claims court. At the same time, you have other like property tax appeals that have gone online in Michigan and Ohio. You've got um, parking ticket online systems that are being created all over the United States. You've got an internet court in China. So, I mean, there are things that are happening right now, and we're at a tipping point where essentially a lot of the ideas that are in the book and things that were sort of built on eBay and built in the world of e-commerce are moving into every realm of dispute resolution, including family law. So there are systems now in place for resolving property settlements um, in divorces as well. Wow, that's really cool. Sounds like a fascinating new project yeah, perhaps yeah. after this one yeah so i mean i know it's not quite the question but that's kind of what's on the top of my mind because of i've course. got like six different projects going on <laughs> well because yeah. i mean it's just it's exploded you know i mean it's it's so interesting and i think it goes back to consumer behavior and individual preferences and how you know, back in the day, again, the new handshake, right? So yeah, that worked perfectly well for me to get on my bike and ride to the farm stand and shake his hand and then go back and get a remedy and all the rest of it. Well, that's not really practical today because things, I mean, things are moving online and we have to love it, hate it, but it's there. Technology is really sort of changing the way that we transact. Yeah. So one of the things I know, I, I noticed in the book was the way you talked about how assumptions about what consumers want or value in a dispute resolution system drove the construction of initial efforts to sort of manage these problems uh, online. And it turned out those assumptions were often not correct and it caused companies to create dispute resolution systems that weren't very efficient. I was wondering if you talk about like sort of the, what those assumptions were and what the problems that they generated were. Well, I'm not sure which assumptions you're, well, one of the major assumptions is just that I think companies um, thought they needed to go after the wow factor, meaning um, perks and giveaways and things along those lines. And I think, that is a surprise, was a surprise to eBay, and I think it's a surprise to many companies when they realize that people don't really care that much about the perks and giveaways. They really, again, it just goes back to just fairness um, mm. and quick, fast and fair and easy. It has to be easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one in particular I was thinking of was this idea that people wanted to talk to someone. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've become so sort of um, just that – it's interesting how few people want to talk to someone. <laughs> so, so now I kind of accept that as, as a norm, but yeah, that is true. I think, um, 
I think companies, although I think they're changing in that, I think most companies have now sort of caught on to the fact that um, individuals don't like having to talk to someone. Yeah. Well, and, and I was, when you talked about sort of how eBay kind of tweaked its dispute resolution system over time and started to realize what made it work better and what actually contributed to consumer satisfaction. I was, you know, surprised but not surprised to realize, and you you pointed out that really the overwhelming majority of disputes are resolved entirely automatically. Like, how does that work? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, and this is where sometimes sellers get upset, right? I mean, the truth is because um, eBay is kind of quick to give a remedy. That's true. Um, And automatic, right? And so just kind of automatically giving a remedy. The other thing sometimes um, in that eBay, and I'm not sure whether or not we put it in the book or not, but another thing that was interesting to learn was how often it comes down to patience, meaning sometimes automatically like eBay would just send out, you know, why don't you wait a few more days? And it can be an automatic message, right? But just knowing that they got your complaint and gives you information that it might be a few more days before the delivery um, would sort of calm people down. And then sure enough, the delivery would come the next day and everything is fine. So, you know, that, first of all, you know, there's a certain amount that can be done with automation, which I think um, is interesting, especially on that front. The other thing is the language you use. I mean, eBay, mm-hmm. we talk about this in the book, you know, you don't want to call someone a fraudster or, or use different language that can be particularly inflammatory as well. And of course, um, a lot, number one, you know, providing automatic remedies, but then also um, providing means for um, direct negotiation, which often will end a dispute. Yeah, and that that really struck me, you know, the way you you talked about these kind of these these problems around like the need to de-escalate the situation and the fact that we we so often use the language of of fraud when we talk about online transactions, but you point out that like the overwhelming majority of disputes are just misunderstandings. Absolutely, and that was actually something um really important I think that eBay learned is that it definitely, it, and it really is. Think about your. I mean, that's the thing is every time I'm doing research or writing a book or writing an article, I think about my own experiences or experiences of my friends. And if you really think about it, you know, it's usually a misunderstanding. You know, I mean, it really is. If you, you know, even in your own personal dealings, you probably run into that. Yeah, yeah. So it, in the last chapter, last section of your book, you propose a way of kind of further reducing some of these transactions costs around online transactions by sort of providing tools uh, that can be used for more effective online dispute resolution. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because it seemed like a, a great way to kind of think about operationalizing on a broader scale the kinds of things that eBay uh, and other companies, big companies, have been doing. Yeah, thanks. That's actually kind of our was the most fun um, because it was kind of like, all right, let's dream big. Let's just paint the picture. Let's write the blueprint. Um, we talked a lot about that. I mean, that's kind of where the most work I think really sort of went into that um, because we really wanted to sketch out and be the first book. And I think kind of the only one that really sort of dreams big and just, you know, swing for the fences in terms of thinking, okay, if 
We had our perfect world and we want to create a fair and fast global system for resolving e-commerce disputes. Um, and so we really sketch out exactly what it would look like. Um, how could you create this program and get um, Consumers International or other consumer groups to get on board and create a consortium that really sort of backs up and mans a process which would mostly be automated and mostly provide means for number one, automatic resolutions, and then number two, um, direct negotiation, and you would only need online mediation in really sort of rare circumstances when things weren't resolved otherwise. Um, and again, this is for low dollar disputes in e-commerce specifically. And one thing that you know I think is important though, is this was really born out of, um, we also both were involved with um, the United Nations Working Group on Developing an Online System for resolving e-commerce disputes on a global level. So this was something that the United Nations had been pursuing and we were both part of that process and part of the deliberations in the United Nations. Um, now that all broke down in 2016, but really not for very good reasons. It was sort of political, which is weird. But anyway, it turns out that you know there's still a lot of momentum to build a global system because something I was talking about earlier is really important here, which is that most, well, a lot of e-commerce um, contracts are actually international in nature and that the buyer and seller are in different countries. Right, right. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how the system you propose would work in practice? Because I really enjoyed the kind of the sort of case study stories that you use to sort of illustrate why this would be so valuable to people. Well, thanks for actually reading those because we didn't know for sure people would because we had so much fun writing them and we thought we were, you know, kind of funny and creating these different scenarios. Look, they were, fa they were, fan they were fantastic and really <laughs> helpful, really helpful for me in understanding what you were proposing. Well, some of them were actually things that had happened to each of us. And then we like, like, how would it work if we didn't have to go through the now the current system, which is annoying and frustrating and gives you headaches. So yeah, so the whole idea that you would have essentially an online global system that is put in place and has the backbone of Consumers International and other consumer groups. And hopefully you would be able to get the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau from the United States and from other countries, get their consumer um, agencies on board to actually essentially bless the system and require that it be fast and um, free or nearly free for consumers to use and ethical and impartial. And we have a whole list of ethical and important um, important measures that would have to be in place for it to be acceptable. Um, we really, really care deeply about that. So that's super important that repeat players not be able to, um, to take over the system and make it unfair. That is definitely not what we are going for. We are talking about something that would be vetted and fair and in accordance with um, principles of standards and ethics and ICODER actually, which is the International Council on Online Dispute Resolution, that we are part of, you can check it out, it's icoder.org, um, has that list of principles and standards. So that would have to be in place. So after that though, let's say then, um, you would have a button that would be right there on, in the same place at the point of sale, which is actually very important when it comes to consumer behavior, because a consumer will want to go back to the same place that they made the sale in order to make a claim. So what you would then be able to do is just click that button, right? And then you just fill out um, some easy, 
an easy form, um, maybe upload a document to show what you purchased and what happened. Um, you submit that. And then through this online, secure, fully authenticated system, um, the merchant would receive notice that there is a claim. They could go in and view that claim, and then they would be able to immediately provide a remedy, So, which is what most merchants would probably do. Mm -hmm. um, that also informs the merchant and lets them know that they have a problem with their product, um, then they would know, you know, and be able to change things, right? Um, also, they would make the consumer very happy, which would probably build loyalty by immediately providing a remedy. And so that's what a lot of merchants would probably do. Now, if they dispute that, then you could enter into direct negotiations and work out a deal. If you're not able to work anything out, um, it may be able to be escalated to an online mediator um, who could help you work out the, the um, work out sort of a result. Now, this would, of course, be non-binding. Um, so you would still have the opportunity to go to court if you wanted to. But we believe, based on evidence of eBay and other systems like this, that most likely 99% of them would be settled through the online system. Cool. Yeah. No, I thought it was really fascinating. And like I said, the stories were, were great. Uh, I was wondering if, in closing, you could talk a little bit about the reception of the book, especially from the kind of consumer protection community, as it were. What's people's take on your argument? I don't know, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you know how it is as well. When you write something, you kind of wonder, has anyone read it besides me and my mom and dad? <laughs> like, you're never totally sure, right? But, um, but no, it, it's received some pretty um, very friendly reviews, um, actually. Um, and uh, for the most part, we, yeah, we've had several different reviews um, that have been very positive. Um, and I think it's been intriguing. I think the other, again, going back to some of these courts that are looking to build online systems, um, sometimes it's a court administrator who reads it and finds it interesting and gives me a call. So I think that, um, I think there's movement in the direction of creating more of these online systems. And maybe we won't have the global online system that we dream of. Um, but, you know, I, I still haven't given up hope. You never know. I mean, it could work. Um, and it could it could have legs. I don't know. I mean, I think we need it because currently, um, otherwise, if you look at global consumer protection, um, it's incredibly frustrating um, because of the fact that each nation, each country has their own system. Um, there is no easy means of getting jurisdiction over, um, you know, a merchant in another country. Um, there's nothing. It's it's very difficult. And usually consumers just have to lump it and take the loss. So providing, and it's actually, um, I just have another article that just came out um, recently on economic development through online systems. And I think the other point that's important is that a lot of small businesses in um, other countries, especially, and even small businesses within the United States would benefit from a system like this because it would help consumers to feel that they could trust that merchant if they knew that they could obtain a remedy if anything went wrong. Right now, a lot of consumers will, you know, go immediately to the Amazons, to the large merchants, because they feel, oh, I know I can get a remedy if something goes wrong. And they fear the smaller merchant because they think, oh, they might not be able to provide us with the remedy, they may disappear, they could be fraudulent. Well, if a merchant signs up for a system like the one we propose in the new handshake, then a consumer would be able to say, oh, 
they subscribe to New Handshake. I know that if something goes wrong, I can get a remedy or I have a means to a remedy. Um, and I think that could be really beneficial for small businesses as well, especially at a global level. So I haven't given up and I'm still hopeful <laughs> that, that someday the future of consumer protection will be one click away. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amy. This has been a fantastic conversation. Well, thank you. And um, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Likewise. Thank you.